Health News Network. A virus surfaces and the elite shut down the world with a cocktail of lies, deceptions, pressures, threats, and violence. Locking up the tellers of truth like political prisoners of the Cold War. Well, here we are. Telling the truth, fighting the fight, the lies, the deception. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your fearless leader is Dan Newman. I'm not sure... But I'm almost certain that uh, it's time for us to get it on, folks, because we are literally at war, not with guns and knives and muskets back in the old days. No, not anything like that. Let's pray we never get into some kind of military skirmish here on U.S. soil. But we are drawing lines in the sand, and we're telling whoever our opponents are and I think we all know who they are, we're telling them, cross that line, you're going to sadly regret the results. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the backside of this week. Yeah, we're now on the downside of the month of September. It's going to be a good weekend, football back in the air. There are some parts of the nation that are going to get a little crisp climate in which to watch high school, college, and NFL football this weekend. But that begs the question, where can you go see a game in person and where can you not go and see in person? Well, most everybody's allowing fans to come in. Unfortunately for many, they won't be going because they are unvaxxed. I like that term, vax, V-A-X-X. That's what uh, has been invented to describe all this chaos we're going through about vaccinations or non-vaccinations. It's easier to say vaxxed or unvaxxed. A lot of criticism, pointed fingers in both directions. I'm not sure we'll ever get to the bottom of all of this, folks, but one thing we do here collectively, me and you, us and you, what we do is we dig hard. We seek to find facts. And i got to be honest with you. In the case now of what's going on in Washington, D.C., it looks like the people, me and you, have the facts on our side against people that for whatever reason or reasons have just taken upon themselves to ram every one of their opinions down the throats of we the people. Forget about that law thing. Forget about that constitution thing. We're supposed to do just what the government tells us to do. I, as a kid, when I got to understand what communism was all about, and the reason I did at a very early age I was like seven years old. That's when um, former President John F. Kennedy got into a spitting match with Nikita Khrushchev, the president of the Soviet Union. I didn't understand what communism was, and it was really difficult even after it was defined for me for me to get my little brain wrapped around it, but I did. And I will tell you this, that was back in an era where at school, We had these drills where a bell would ring and we had to learn how to immediately climb underneath our desk because it was supposed to be, it was a test for what might happen. They were so sure that it might happen nationwide that every school had these and it was in anticipation of nuclear bombs being dropped on us by the Soviet Union. Over there then, folks, and for many years, 
those people were locked up with no rights, were told everything they could do, everything they couldn't do, and just like something we're experiencing here in the United States, sometimes things are okay. You can do those things. Other times, don't dare think about it. And the government controls which and when of those hold true. We don't have a say-so anymore. I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture. I'm just trying to get the facts out there for us to get our brains around and understand. We're not going to live in fear. We are not going to live in anger. We're just not going to do that. We still are the freest nation on the planet. And we, the people, are not going to let that change. A lot of things to dig into today. Senator Ted Cruz yesterday was down at the southern border. Have you heard about what's going on in Del Rio? There's a bridge there that goes across the Mexican border. I've been across. I've been on that very bridge before. Actually, I've been on that bridge in a car and been on that bridge on a Harley. I know exactly what's there, but I have never in my wildest imagination even dreamed there might be something like is happening there right now as we're having this conversation. Ted Cruz documented a bit of that. Durham, finally came through with something. A couple of indictments out of the John Durham investigation of all things doing with the 2016 election. I mean, we've got another election since that should be being investigated. I just can't understand it taking four years, maybe two and a half, three years for Durham to be involved, but so long to dig in, find some facts confirm there was wrongdoing by people, and then prosecuting them. I, I, I just can't understand that. So an attorney who represented Clinton's, Hillary's, 2016 presidential campaign was indicted yesterday, and he was indicted for lying to the FBI as part of a special counsel Durham's ongoing probe into the origin of the FBI's probe into those ties between Russia and former President Trump and Trump's campaign, there was no collusion as Robert Mueller in two and a half years and 40 million of our tax dollars found out. This attorney is Michael Sussman. He's a partner with Perkins Coy, which is one of the biggest law firms in the United States. They also, this firm, also represented the Democrat National Committee in connection with Russia's hack of the organization, their servers, And Sussman is accused of making false statements during a September 19, 2016 meeting with former FBI General Counsel James Baker. So this is just the second criminal case Durham has filed so far. Since former Attorney General Bill Barr tapped him in 2019, two years ago, to investigate U.S. officials who probed the Trump-Russia contacts. Trump portrayed the 2016 FBI investigation as part of a witch hunt against him. So after the Biden folks got the keys to the White House, Durham was allowed to stay on as special counsel to continue that work, which I thought was very interesting. They didn't have to do it. The new attorney general can fire any federal prosecutors that are out there. I think they probably looked at the glass of, will this be okay or will this be bad? And they decided if they'd can Durham, it would look like it was a cover-up by the Democrats. 
So they let him go on. So what's in this indictment? Well, he's accused of falsely telling Baker he didn't represent any client when he met him to give the FBI white papers and other data files that contain evidence of some questionable cyber links between the Trump organization and a Russian-backed bank. Well, about that information, found out later there was no there there, but of course that didn't matter. The indictment alleges that in fact Sussman had turned over the information, not as a good citizen, but rather as an attorney representing a U.S. technology executive, an internet company, and oh, by the way, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Sussman's attorneys could not be immediately reached for comment. They haven't even spoken up since this indictment was handed out. Sussman's lie was material because, among other reasons, they are told telling us, Sussman's false statement misled the FBI general counsel, other FBI personnel concerning the political nature of his work and deprived the FBI of information that might have permitted it more fully to access and uncover the origins of the relevant data and technical analysis. That's in the indictment. It also says the technology executive client who helped assemble the data that Sussman presented to the FBI had exploited his access to non-public data at multiple internet companies to conduct opposition research concerning Trump. The FBI did investigate but ultimately concluded there was insufficient evidence of a secret communications channel between the Trump folks and that bank. The bank wasn't endamed in the indictment, but a person familiar with the matter confirmed that to Reuters it was Alpha Bank. The New York Times of all newspapers later reported the FBI's investigation into the Alpha Bank Trump connection in October 2016, a probe that the indictment says was sparked following Sussman's September 26 meeting with Baker. Now, what do you come away with from what I just I just told you? In the old days, do you remember those? That was back when we still had a little bit of trust for our government, our Department of Justice, and the FBI. In the old days, we would have said, yeah, they're finally getting cranking. They're digging in and they're getting the evil players in all of this. Today, in this new reality in which we find ourselves living, here's the first thing that popped into my head. Is this all they're going to indict anybody for? Here we are, all this crud, all this crap happened four plus years ago. And it was the Trump campaign. It was the Democrat National Committee. It was a bunch of other folks, even a bunch of folks in the White House and already in the Department of Justice and the FBI that were all complicit in all of this stuff. And all we can come up with is two attorneys. That's all Durham has indicted. And his statute of limitations is running out on getting any other folks and getting them indicted. You think maybe this may be a bit symbolic rather than substantive? Maybe Durham is throwing a um, an olive leaf out there to those that don't like him because he hasn't done anything, at least by normal definition and normal consideration. I mean, if you're a cop, and he's technically not a cop, but he's a prosecutor, he's the one that can charge people for wrongdoing, breaking federal laws, 
You want them to do their job. You want them to find the perpetrators and bring them to justice and make sure if the stuff they're charged with actually happened to make it stick. Only twice now has Durham done that. It's disturbing to a lot of people. It's disturbing to me. We all want to think that every part of our government is clicking. Every person in our government is complying with the rule of law, adhering to their oath of office that they made when they got the job and took over. That's what we want to think. But I got to be honest with you. Those of us who have always given our government the benefit of the doubt. We're living in la-la land. Our government is about our government. Sadly, not everybody, and I always have to give this disclaimer, not everybody in our government is evil. In fact, I think most of them are not. But very strategically, somebody, some group, had to get together and get the organizational chart of the power junkies the positions in the United States government that were the most powerful after the obvious ones, president, vice president, speaker of the House, uh, majority leader in the Senate, and then the head of the FBI, the CIA. And you know that list at the top goes on and on. We don't know about all this rumbling and stuff that happens underneath. And when we get a report, when something comes out, you remember how many times during the the Mueller uh, collusion, Russia collusion investigation against Trump. Do you remember how shocked we were almost daily when we we saw the comments, the context of communications in the FBI, in the Department of Justice between fellow workers and how much they hated Donald Trump? And I had a conversation early this morning with a close friend, and it was about... Um, Actually, General Milley, and we'll get into the latest on the Milley thing here in just a little bit. And here was my consensus at the end of it. When a person is in a place of authority and there's someone above them, and there pretty much is always somebody above every every person in a position of authority, you take an oath of office, you, if it's government-related, you take an oath of office to protect and defend and to abide by the Constitution and make sure that you're involved in 100% of supporting and enforcing American law. If you ever get to the point where you think the person or the people you're working for don't think that same way, you really only have two options, legitimately and morally. Number one is you can expose the wrongdoing to those who have a way and a chance and the power and authority to do something about it. That's number one. If you're not willing to do that, or if you can't do that, you have an obligation to resign. Milley and others, all the FBI sycophants that came out as we found out, and that was, I'm sure, just a tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there are hundreds and thousands of others in government that didn't like Donald Trump, that were totally committed to the Obama administration's philosophy and were planning on carrying that forward four or eight more years after Obama left office and Hillary stepped in. And I'm sure there were disappointments there. But you know what? That has nothing to do with the commitments that they made, nor does Millie's. You either make it, keep it, or walk away, period. 
There's no other, there's no excuse for that. No other possible realistic alternative to doing that. Anything other than that, folks, it just opens you up to do exactly what we saw happen. Become a turncoat, border on treason, and and participate in potentially treasonous activities against that person or those people with which you have a disagreement. This doesn't happen in the United States. This is something that happens in third world countries and totalitarian countries, like that old Soviet Union under Khrushchev that I talked about. I'm just saying, yeah, Durham indicted another lawyer. And yeah, that lawyer represented a person in a technology company plus the Democrat National Committee. Those, those are, are big deals, depending on what happens now. But in the big scheme of things, since so many people know all the Russia collusion stuff was a totally partisan hit job to try to get Donald Trump out of office, just like those two ridiculous impeachment trials that we lived through. History's not going to be kind, but you know what? You and I, we really don't live in history. We live in today. And we all want the stuff to get straightened out today, right? We want it to be straightened out. Well, let's go to Mark Milley again. He has reached out and lashed back at those who are calling for his resignation. Let me put here at the top of this, let me put it in perspective. Here's what happened. Milley obviously is a Democrat. Milley didn't like Donald Trump. He didn't like the way Donald Trump governed. He didn't like the things that he said. Many Many Americans didn't like the way the President President Trump said the things that he said. But you know what? General Mark Milley swore an oath. I'm not talking about just when he became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. When he became a member of the military, he swore an oath. And he's turned away from his oath. What are you talking about, Dan? Here's what we're not hearing being sent around in the news media, the mainstream news media. There wasn't just a conversation between Mark Milley and his counterpart in the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government about Donald Trump. Milley giving our number one enemy on the planet Earth, giving them a heads up that things aren't very good here in the United States in the transition between Trump and Biden, Millie and others felt like Donald Trump's going to do something crazy. And of course, they accused him of doing something crazy. He is, in their opinion, in fact, it's not an opinion if you talk to them, it's factual. Donald Trump was directly overseeing and directly responsible for the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. There's no evidence, just like at the Russia collusion. There is none. There's no proof of anything. There were a bunch of angry Americans, and a lot of them were conservatives. Most of them were conservatives that didn't like what played out November 30 a year ago. They committed, many of them committed crimes, and hundreds of them have been arrested, and hundreds are still behind bars, most of who have never been formally charged, and 
a Department of Justice, an FBI, a DOJ, are violating multiple constitutional rights of these people. The activity, the mindset, the reasoning, the thinking of Millie and others over this problem we're discussing right now had to do with the fact that they thought Donald Trump wasn't capable of being the President of the United States and were fearful that he was going to do something stupid. A couple of conversations between Millie and the Chinese leader and in context, we don't have the transcripts. I'm not sure we'll ever give them. It's obvious classified pretty much because that is China and it is the top military dude in the Chinese military and the top dude in the U.S. military talking to each other about very sensitive, probably classified matters. But the book that's being published that broke this whole story, they in the book, the authors of the book, they inferred that they had a lot of inside information about these two phone calls. So, in context of what we have been told so far, what Millie did was give this leader in China a heads up about Donald Trump that there were conversations very loosely but very rare, rarely possible um, discussions about the United States starting some type of military action against China. So Milley stepped in. And when he stepped in, he made sure this leader in China knew that anything that was going to happen, Milley would call him before it happened and let him know. Now you think about that, just pull that particular fact out of this. Here's the number one military guy in the U.S. and he's calling the number one military guy at the country who's our number one nemesis on earth, telling him, hey, if we decide over here it's in our best interest to attack your country, I'm going to give you a heads up. Do you think the Japanese made a phone call that December morning giving anybody in the U.S. a heads up that they were about to bomb Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and start that part of World War II? Heck no, you don't do that. You don't go to an enemy and give them any information, but Millie did. By definition, that's treason, folks. That's treason. But let me tell you what else is even worse. Did you know that during this whole thing, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called Millie and instructed Millie, Pelosi did, to make sure that everybody at the top of our military that were directly under the other members of the Joint Chiefs and those directly under them, that everybody knew there was something brewing that Trump was going to do something egregious. In fact, there were conversations about him dropping some nukes on some folks. Seriously, folks, that was out there. I don't believe any one of them that ever said that or passed it around really thought it would happen, but it was great political fodder to use to get a bunch of people foaming at the mouth to even more so than previously fight to get rid of Donald Trump. And Pelosi's goal didn't just speak to right now, back in January. Trump was already out of office. The election results showed that Biden won. It was about Trump not ever coming back to D.C. So that's what Pelosi told him. 
But it gets worse. She told him he was to do nothing without talking to her first. Millie was to do nothing without talking to her first. That's treason. She has, the House Speaker has no authority to do that. Instructing the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs to violate his oath of office to the nation and the oath that he took to be the Joint Chiefs Chairman. But then Milley made it even worse. He went to the group of military officers right below his level, the ones that are at the top responsible for any and all of the circumstances that might be part of something major like a war or or some type of foreign uh, uh, threat against the United States. Those are the people that there's always somebody with the president carrying what they call the nuclear football which has all of the equipment in it necessary to actually launch a nuclear strike. Millie told those people, every one of them, you are obligated to tell me, this is Millie telling them to tell him, anytime this president tries to take any kind or speaks about taking any kind of military action anywhere in the world, you are not to do anything in his regard. In other words, if he tells you to do something, you are not to do it. He made them swear an oath to him that they would do this. Millie did. They had to come, or they felt like they did, to Millie before they followed any of the president's instructions. In other words, Pelosi and Millie were colluding to do treason and overthrow our government. If Trump disagreed with them and tried to do something as commander-in-chief without their permission. Flip the stage here, folks. What if during the Obama administration, a member of the Joint Chiefs and the former House Speaker, Paul Ryan, did the same thing regarding Barack Obama contemplating Obama not being of sound mind, that he might do something stupid, and that Paul Ryan and whoever that was in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they would demand that anybody in the government come to them before they did anything that Obama told them to do. What would have happened? What would they have instigated? There would be people strung up (laughs) for being a part of that. Do you think anything's going to happen in this one? I really don't think so. I think absolutely nothing is going to happen. Wow. Well, we've done the Durham thing. We've done the Millie thing. And oh, by the way, he desperately needs to resign immediately. Remember I told you, if you're a leader, you swear an oath to do something and abide by anybody above you in a company, in a government, whatever else, If you don't want to abide by that, you have two choices. If it's wrong, if it's evil, turn them in. If it's not, you got to resign. Millie needs to resign today. That's just one of about 50 debacles going on in this country. We're going to get to a few more. We're actually going to go down south. South Texas, Del Rio, Texas. That's up next at TNN Live. 
A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them, someone they can trust, someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. What would Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo of CNN, what would they be doing right now if a Donald Trump, Donald Trump, chairman of the Joint Chiefs had done something like Mark Milley did regarding Donald Trump. What would they do if that president was Barack Obama? I, I'm not even going to go any further. We got, we got to move on. We mentioned Ted Cruz, senator of Texas. He went down to check out the latest in uh, our southern border debacle. Did you know that while Afghanistan was going on over there, and we still have 100-plus Americans that are unable to get out of Afghanistan. Whatever happened to that oath that we played you again and again where President Biden leaned over to the microphone and says, I give my word we will not leave the country until every American is out safely. Two things. We're not there anymore, so we left the country. Second thing is a bunch of Americans are still there, still trying to get out. While they're doing it, they're hiding from the Taliban to save their lives. Heard a story this morning. Republican House member Isa from California. He was able to finally get two older Americans, one of them in their 90s, 90s and 80s, a couple, 
to get them out of Afghanistan that have been trying through the State Department even way before the withdrawal took place to get out and couldn't get anything done and they got stuck there. How many more Americans are in that mode? Okay, Dan, get off the soapbox. We're going to the southern border. While Afghanistan was going on, every day we had thousands of illegals coming to our southern border. And then what happened? Biden gets up on his bully pulpit like he did during his campaign every day. You remember he would tell everybody, oh, we're going to change the horrors that the Trump administration have been doing at the southern border. Don't come now. Don't come now. But as soon as I get into office, we're going to make it where everybody that has a real justifiable reason to come from their country to our country, we're going to make it so you can do that. But don't come now. Don't come now. They begin to flood to the southern border. Here's a president that in his campaign wasn't president at the time, but he promised he was going to open the border doors and throw the key away so they'd never be closed again. One thing you can say about Joe is he keeps his promises to the illegals, not to the Americans (laughs) that are still hung up in Afghanistan, right? Oh, by the way, did you know that we can't force illegal aliens to be vaccinated when they come in? But we can force Americans to get vaccinated just to go to work or to go to NFL football games or go to a restaurant. We can do that. We're going to do that. We're going to cram it down your throats. But the million or so that have got into this country, we're giving them a free pass. Vax or unvax, we don't care, we don't even need to know. Joe sent out another one of those messages to illegal aliens around the world and said, you know, they were previously uh, deporting illegal Haitian immigrants that came in. I don't know why they would do that and not do that for any of the other nationalities of people that are coming across the southern border. Maybe it's a racist thing. Haitians are black. Joe's not real, he's not real keen on a bunch of black folks. Yeah, I said black folks. He says it all the time. He called former representative of the U.S. government in the Congress that's now his chief assistant, Cedric Richmond, online in a live press briefing, he calls Cedric Richmond, who's black, he called him his boy. His boy, I live in the South. I'm from the South. When you call an African-American person your boy, that's the epitome of racism. But we don't have a racist president. This guy, he's a stand-up guy. He's got a life full of evidence of being open and receptive for anybody and everybody. Doesn't matter about skin color, ethnicity. Yeah, he's the one that said, when the integration was being considered way, 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 way back there. Many of you listening weren't alive then. Integration. He said he did not want his kids living in a jungle in reference to blacks integrating into all white, previously all white schools. Jungles, his word. The connotation there, of course, is monkeys. A very derogatory term used by people Back then, I've never heard it used that way in a derogatory fashion 
in many, many years, but back then that was a common derogatory label for an African-American person. Lots of different examples of Joe going over the top there. But anyway, when the word got out that we were going to stop deporting Haitian people, everybody here got on the phone and called all their Haitian relatives and said, y'all come on up. You're going to get in. Joe Biden has guaranteed it. So this has turned into what was a amazing crisis at our southern border. The mainstream media, including entities like Fox, when Afghanistan started, it was extremely serious and still is over in Afghanistan and the fallout there. We don't know everything that happened. We may never know. But what we do know is tragic in many, many ways. While that was going on, the Biden crisis stuff at the southern border, not only did it not just go away or get better for us, it got worse. Media wouldn't report on that. But now, all of a sudden, after the Biden cry out to Haiti and Haitians, in Del Rio, Texas, folks, right now, overnight, and this morning, under that bridge that crosses from Del Rio into Mexico, there are thousands of new illegals that have stormed our border. Holding facilities down there are too full. They have no place to go. They're sleeping under a bridge. Ted Cruz down there yesterday. He's narrating a video. Obviously, you can't see the video, but you get the context. Here's Senator Ted Cruz. We're in Del Rio, Texas. It is September 16th. This is underneath one bridge. 10,503 illegal aliens, a mass of humanity that has crossed and is waiting to come into America. The reason they're here is simple. Eight days ago, the Biden administration made a political decision, a political decision to cancel deportation flights to Haiti. They did that on September 8th. Eight days later, these numbers appeared. On September 8th, underneath this bridge, there were between 700 and 1,000 people. But when the word got out that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were no longer deporting people who came from Haiti, suddenly everyone who was here called their friends, called their family, and the numbers surged to 10,000 503. That's what's here today. It is more than the capacity of the Border Patrol to handle. This is the result of a political decision. This is a result that is indefensible. What we are seeing here, this is wrong. This is inhumane. And this is entirely caused by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Well, it happens. It never stopped and it continues and it will continue on. 
the story that was published this morning at Truth News Network. It's about corruption in government. And uh, we just wanted to point out a few areas. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of examples of gross government corruption and people in the government, especially the last decade or so. And maybe it was going on the same way previously, but we just didn't have access to that information. And the government's really, really good about making sure whatever they don't want to get out to the general public, they can keep out. That's unfortunate for us. I would imagine it's a 90-10 ratio. 90% of what's going on that's shady, in many cases illegal, we don't know about. We only hear about the 10. That is not a factual statement. It is an opinion, and it may not be that bad. But folks, it doesn't matter if it's 5% or 4% or 1%. It shouldn't be any percent. These are people that sign a contract to service, be our servants. It's the people's government. It's not the government's government, if you follow me. So Biden has just opened up the border. You can forget about this. You can forget about thinking that we have any borders. We have no borders. The borders are non-existent. Anybody that wants to is walking across into our nation. Don't think for a second, as long as there's a Democrat in power or another Bush in power, because George W. Bush was and is a globalist, they are now supporting open immigration from all countries in the world. George W. Bush came out with that. He is an affirmed globalist. Definition of a globalist? No borders anywhere. It's just one nation. It's called the world. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. Joe Biden is showing by what he's not doing, what he's allowing, what he's encouraging, that he's a globalist as well. So here's something a bit odd that's going on down there with all of these 10,500 plus that are under this bridge in Del Rio. A guy named Bill Melgen. Bill Melgen, you've seen him if you ever watch Fox News and anything to do with the southern border stuff. Last night on Tucker Carlson's show, Bill Melgen reported that the Federal Aviation Administration has imposed an flight restriction for the area around that bridge where these thousands of migrants are congregating near Del Rio. And as a result, Fox can't use its drone to capture aerial footage of the situation around the bridge. Now, Melgen said they've used the drone around the border. I mean, I've seen some great pictures along the border, flying, covering illegals that are crossing into the nation. They've been doing that for seven months. It's never been a problem before. Why is it a problem now? Melgen said, we've been using our drone to show everybody these remarkable pictures. We just learned the FAA has put out a temporary flight restriction in the area immediately around the port of entry where that bridge is. So what does that mean? It means our drone can no longer fly and show Americans these images. It's a two-week restraining order. And according to the FAA, it's for special security reasons. Now, we've reached out to them to get a little clarification on what the heck that means. The timing, the location, 
a little bit curious. He said, I just want to point out, Fox News has been at the border for the better part of seven months now. We've been using the same drone the entire time. It's never been an issue. All of a sudden, the last 24 hours, we start showing these images at this bridge and a restraining order goes up. We can no longer fly, which means you and I can no longer see. Does that bother you at all? Does it make you feel like maybe there's more going on than what we're being told? Meanwhile, Border Patrol officials in Cincinnati of all places. Border Patrol in Cincinnati, there's no border there, right? Well, at their airport, they seized a total of 1,683 fake COVID-19 vaccination cards that came from China. They made the announcement in a press release that was published yesterday. It said the counterfeit cards had misspellings and were of substandard printing quality, even though the cards displayed a logo from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. The fake cards arrived at the Port of Cincinnati from China in five different shipments since August last month, August 16th. They were destined for non-medical entities in private residences and apartments in five states, Illinois, Maryland, Missouri, New York, and Texas. The shipments also contained 2,034 fake Pfizer inoculation stickers. Pfizer and Germany's BioNTech jointly developed a COVID-19 vaccine that is now dubbed Comirnaty, C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y. Creating or buying a fake COVID-19 vaccination card is illegal, not to mention dangerous. That's from Cincinnati's port director, Richard Gillespie. He added, purchasing counterfeit cards supports criminals whose only concern is their bank account, not American security or the health of our citizens. Many areas have enacted a variety of vaccine mandates, prompting people who don't want to get a jab to falsify their immunization status. Three Vermont state troopers resigned after an investigation showed they had created fake vax cards. An Illinois woman was arrested in September for allegedly trying to use a falsified vax card when entering Hawaii. According to the CDC, you know, and they're the purveyors of truth and only truth, right? According to them, more than 180 million people in the U.S. have been fully vaxxed as of yesterday. The seizure in Cincinnati is hardly an isolated case. It's happening everywhere. Border Patrol officials have made similar seizures from China and Memphis, Anchorage, Chicago, Pittsburgh, other cities since August. The ones that happened in Memphis and Anchorage resulted in more than 6,000 fake vax cards. I promise you. I promise you, somebody out there, one of you, maybe two of you, when you heard me say that, the thought crossed through your head. Huh. So they're making falsified vaccination cards. Where can I go to get one? <laughs> Folks, if you're if you're one of those people that is just caught up in the conundrum of should I vax or should I not vax, 
and you still haven't been vaxxed, I promise you, with everything that's coming down the pipe that we already know and we see in here, that thought's crossed your mind once or twice, or even more than that. And what comes with it? Fear. Authoritarian rule around the world is built on and fueled by fear, fear that is instilled among the people by those authoritarianistic leaders. And I don't care what anybody says. Joe Biden and all of his actions, that is the explanation of authoritarian rule. One person at the top goes around the legal structure in their nation and just starts making its citizens do with executive orders what they want done, ignoring already passed laws in Congress. Look what's happening with this immigration thing. Folks, we don't just have a southern border immigration problem. Joe Biden's flying hundreds and thousands of Afghans over here. We have no idea who 99% of them really are. Folks, this is from Afghanistan. That's the hotbed of Islamic terrorism. That's where the folks came from that got trained to knock down the World Trade Center towers in 2011. We actually, when some of these illegals that came out of Kabul on our jets and they went to Qatar, a temporary stop, the Qatar people started vetting as many of these illegals as they, not not illegals at the, that point, they, they legally got on a jet that we provided for them. They go to Qatar, 500 of them, when they were vetted in Qatar by the authorities there, we found out we're on terrorist watch lists. We have tens of thousands of them already scattered around the United States. We have no idea who they are. So we have a, from every perspective, illegal alien problem in the United States. So what is Congress going to do about it? Let me tell you what they're going to do about it. They've got it on the table right now. This big $3.5 trillion social infrastructure package that is being discussed, debated, and considered right now in Congress, one clause in it, it's a big lengthy clause, we can't read the, the bill yet because they don't have it finished, but what they're leaking to the media, some of it they didn't want to get out, got out, and one big piece of it is amnesty. The Democrats' amnesty bill that's part of this, it invites 3 million chain migration arrivals into the U.S. workforce, likely forcing Americans to pay much, much more money for everything we get, including higher rents. Now, what's this all about? About 4 million are now waiting many years to get one of the roughly 240,000 cards that annually are available for the foreign siblings and adult children of legal immigrants, the new bill will allow them to early file for conditional residency and work permits if they've been waiting for more than two years and if they can also fly into the United States. So what does that mean, folks? These are people that have gotten into the country already. They've already been here. 
and they get some kind of legal status. It's not necessarily citizenship. You can get temporary residency and stuff like that different ways. What they're putting in here is a plan so that these people that are here can reach out to their moms and dads, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, their kids, and the government, the Biden government, is giving them authority and permission to just come on in. No questions asked. They call it conditional residency. A lot of people who are now on the waiting list are going to come him and early file for green card light status. Biden's deputies will likely allow the chain migrants to fly into the U.S. under the pretense they're short-term tourists. The chain migration arrivals will go to where their migrant relatives are concentrated. Many are already living in a high cost of living area like Prince William County, Prince George's County in Maryland as an example. There clearly will be a very large demand for housing, particularly for low-income housing, which we already have a massive shortage of. The Wall Street Journal reported two days ago on rent increases. Rents tracked by Zillow. And if you know anything about real estate online, Zillow's the big location to go to find real estate wherever you want to go find real estate. Pictures and all kinds of information. Renters tracked by Zillow were up 9.2% in July from a year earlier. As demand increased among people who can't afford to buy houses, some young professionals returned to cities. Zillow estimates the typical U.S. rent in July was 3% higher than if rents followed their pre-pandemic trends. So those rising rents have created tax and spend opportunities for the Democrat Party. What's that, Dan? It's, well, it's where far-left legislators, such as people like Ayanna Presley, Democrat, part of the squad. She's from Massachusetts. Ooh, excuse me. They are demanding tighter government oversight of landlords and are seeking, of course, taxpayer cash for renters. Presley already won $5 billion in extra federal spending on housing, much of which will help landlords charge, charge higher rents. So, Joe's invite to these chain migrants is buried in legal jargon that media reports have largely ignored. The reporters prefer to focus on the award of citizenship to younger dreamer migrants, temporary protected status migrants, and essential workers that include all those farm workers that minimize investors' need to buy high-tech labor-saving machinery. Reporters, business groups, progressives, and Democrats are also quiet about the new rules that would allow U.S. employers to import an unlimited number of foreign graduates into the nation to take those white-collar careers that are being sought right now by American graduates. What's the magic about that? They can get them cheaper. It's likely that 3 million of the 4 million population of waiting chain migrants will arrive in a very short time, doubling the inflow of legal immigrants over the next three years. The bill also allows officials to print additional green cards under the claim that some green cards from prior years were not used. If 400,000 of those new cards are allocated to family migrants, then 400,000 additional chain migrants 
will fly into the U.S. already in possession of their green cards. That makes them here legally. Each year, we already welcome one million migrants via the work visa, diversity, lottery, and chain migration pathways. Democrats want to expand the extraction of migrants from other poor countries, despite public opposition. Now think about this. Don't we have federal immigration laws? Doesn't Congress, haven't they already addressed this numerous times? I'm not sure exactly the number of federal laws regarding immigration there are, but it's well over 100, a bunch of them there. Now, in a constitutional representative republic, how are we supposed to be governed? Isn't it supposed to be government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people? Isn't the process so that we in our various congressional districts and in our states, we elect members of Congress and members of the Senate to go to Washington, and they're the ones we're empowering to write these laws, to amend laws, to vote down bills that we don't think as constituents in their voting districts and states should be signed or become laws? Isn't that what government of, by, and for the people is? Now, remember, I told you, that's in a representative republic. That's what our Constitution structured our government to be. We're not even a pure democracy. If we were a pure democracy, there wouldn't be a Congress. Every American would vote on every issue. Hindsight being 2020, maybe we'd be better off if we did that. No, Dan, wait a minute. California and New York would control everything. <laughs> that, that's a true thought. I think maybe that was what was in the mind of our forefathers when they structured it as a representative republic. Joe Biden has turned that upside down, folks. Not only is it not by pure democracy where everybody votes on anything, voting no longer matters in the Biden administration. Joe Biden is ignoring laws, and Congress is letting him ignore laws. Nancy Pelosi in the House, Chuck Schumer in the Senate, the two places that have the sole authority to craft and write and debate and pass laws or vote against bills that they don't want to come laws because the people who they work for don't want them to become laws. Joe Biden's just writing it, writing the regulations that are changing everything in our government with no constitutional authority to do any of it. Think about that for a moment. Think about it. We're going to go to a break. When we get back, we're going to get off of this and get on something that I'm going to try to do something that has a little lighter side on it. <laughs> Two minutes from now at TNN Live. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. 
It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. It's hard to hear the truth, but if the truth will set us free, we'd rather enjoy freedom. TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. Yeah, sometimes the truth isn't fun. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it can create a little chaos. But folks, what we know is if we make our choices and decisions based on things that aren't truthful, they're for certain somewhere down the line going to get us in trouble. And we need to stay away from that as much as we possibly can. You know, I mentioned that couple from San Diego. Let me tell you who they are. Um, they're a couple, Republican couple as a matter of fact. And um, what happened was Daryl Issa, he's a U.S. congressman from San Diego. He's a Republican. He has helped an area couple from San Diego in their 80s who were both U.S. citizens returned to San Diego after weeks of being harassed and frightened by the Taliban while attempting to get to the Kabul airport in Afghanistan. ISA said, this is a cause for celebration, the result of almost countless hours of work under very difficult conditions. Our team simply would not give up, and today it paid off, we got them home. While we've made extraordinary progress, but we're not stopping until everyone comes home. ISA said the couple was on their way home to San Diego County. Their names are hidden due to safety concerns because their Afghan relatives are still in the country and may face some reprisals. Their granddaughter, Zhu Hall, eventually approached the ISA district office for help. According to his office, the couple had tried to get past the Taliban checkpoint several times for weeks but were harassed and intimidated, therefore prevented from boarding a plane home. We didn't get any of the information about how the couple got out of Afghanistan. They're one of 33 residents from San Diego alone that ISA has helped return from Afghanistan. We don't even know how many others of Americans are still there. We do know the numbers that were given us by the Biden administration are false. They told us, oh, everybody that wanted to get out, every American that wanted to get out, got out. 
But the ones that are still there, they were the ones that told us they wanted to stay. And then they estimated it was in the hundreds, the total number of Americans that were still hung up there. And then Secretary of State Blinken said, it's in the low hundreds, I think less than 100. We've had more than 100 get out after he said that. I'm just waiting every morning to wake up and see and hear about Americans being there held hostage, being paraded before television cameras, threatened with death if the United States doesn't comply with some of the Taliban's wishes. We are also being told now, remember Blinken said, we're relying on the Taliban. They've been cooperating with us to get our people out. We've got to rely on them. Now we're gone. Yeah, right. Now they're saying the Taliban are not cooperating with us at all. Pretty much everybody that's still over there is on their own, with the exception of maybe a few of those that some of these American patriots that privately have put missions together and are getting people out surreptitiously in various and sundry different ways. I applaud them, but it just makes me angrier at the Biden administration for what they did. Not going back in there. We're not going to launch any deep conversations about what's happening in Afghanistan. It's going to be a while before we know everything. If we ever do, they're hiding as much as they possibly can. If you were here early in the week, Monday and Tuesday, you heard me mention that I was in California over the weekend, which meant I flew. And um, it was a it was a very short weekend. I flew from Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth to Sacramento. And then from Sacramento to get back, I had to Sunday night catch a connecting flight in Phoenix. So I went Sacramento-Phoenix back to DFW. Commercial air travel has morphed dramatically. I mean, it's not the same. You feel like you're a criminal if you want to buy a plane ticket to get on a ticket and go somewhere. The airline's I think they've softened just a little bit in the last 60 to 90 days, but for a while there, folks, it was like they were the Nazis and every passenger was a Jew. They treated everybody horribly. What they still do is demand again and again and again in the airport. The announcements come on, they tell you it's a federal law now, which it's not, but they say it's a federal law now that everybody must wear a mask at all times, that your nose and mouth must be covered if you don't comply we will arrest you, have you arrested and removed. When you get on a plane, I flew American Airlines both ways. I was told by the pilot on all three flights at some point early in the flight, hey, you got to wear that mask. We're not going to push away from the gate until everybody has their mask on and the mask covers their noses and mouths. We're just not going to do it. One flight this weekend, one flight, a two-year-old boy was taken off of an American Airlines flight. An American Airlines plane returned to the airport to take a two-year-old boy, along with his mother and his grandmother, off the plane because a little boy could not wear a mask properly while he was having an asthma attack. American Airlines Flight 1284. His mom was Amanda Pindarvis, along with her two-year-old son, Waylon, and her mother. The boy 
suffered an asthma attack. He was unable to properly wear the mask, prompting the flight attendant to have the plane return to the airport where cops were waiting for them. Pendarvis used Instagram to post a video of what happened. She described it was the most humiliating, traumatizing experience and that the flight attendant whom she called Carl is truly evil and power tripping. In the video, you could see Waylon's mother's comments while her son is seen crying, then outside the plane met by three cops. I was not refusing a mask, nor did I even say I wouldn't try to keep a mask on my son's face, she said. In the video, she comments that Carl said over the intercom, I'm sorry for the delay, folks, but we are dealing with a non-compliant traveler. As Pendarvis recounted, behind them was a man who confronted the flight attendant, letting him know he was being unreasonable with his behavior. Several other travelers said they were sorry. A family friend tweeted what happened and expressed her anger. She said her friend showed Carl her son's negative COVID test, but he still didn't care and continued to view Waylon as a threat to the rest of the travelers. Not one person stood up to her in the face of this injustice that she cannot understand how they remained silent and that they did this unless we all start standing up against tyrants, it's not going to stop. She then left the message about COVID. The only thing that COVID has done to society is remove people of their compassion, hospitals making mothers give birth alone, children being taken, babies being kicked off flights, families turning against each other. Finally, I won't make nice with these people, not anymore. Of course, American Airlines had to respond, saying that they contacted her friend who posted this for information. I didn't see any of this, thankfully. Um, I don't know how I would have responded. I'm pretty sure, knowing me, and the way that I am, I would have said something and maybe whatever I said would have gotten me kicked off. I don't know, but folks, this isn't right. Come on, a little baby and the baby's having an asthma attack and American Airlines is so rude and crude that they didn't even take into consideration the kid struggling to breathe far more than he was before he had this asthma attack. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And you know what this is all feeding from? Fear of the unknown. We don't have any idea. They may be telling us to do the right thing. Maybe it's for the right reasons. But there are ways to do these things and implement these procedures without demeaning the character or any of the individuals that are involved in this. People are afraid. i got to be honest with you. What I went through, and I didn't have any contentious interactions with anybody during my weekend flying back and forth from California on American Airlines, thankfully. But it made me think twice about flying commercial again. Anytime I'm thinking about going somewhere, give you an example. Evangel Christian Academy in Shreveport, Louisiana, the school that my grandchildren all go to, and I've been a supporter of for a very long time, They're playing a football game tonight in Seminole, Oklahoma. Now, it's a a five-and-a-half-hour drive from where I live to Seminole, Oklahoma. I want to go to the game. 
at points in my past, when I was really involved in sports, I owned a football team, an arena football team. Before that, for a dozen years, I was involved with the Louisiana Tech football network as part of the broadcast team. I always either flew with the team on a charter, and they went, I mean, all over the United States. I've done games in Penn State and Florida State, the Coliseum in L.A., um, Miami, South Carolina. I, I can't even name all the places that I've been. And it got to where it was so time-consuming dealing with the, even though it wasn't a commercial flight, they were all charters, dealing with the airport stuff and all that. I was financially able to. I just started chartering jets and going myself and bringing a load of friends and family members with me that wanted to go. And so when the Seminole, Oklahoma thing came up, I thought, you know what? I wonder if somebody's got a plane that can fly me up there. I mean, up and back, 11 hours with a three-hour football game in the middle. And uh, I didn't want to stay overnight. So guess what I'm doing? I'm not going. It's that simple. I'm not going. And I hate it that I'm not going. And I'm using that as an illustration to explain to you that the specifics of these types of incidents don't occur in a vacuum. There are always ancillary fallout ripple waves that happen Anytime anything happens, there's cause and effect. And the effect is that a lot of people get disenfranchised about commercial flying. And put that in the perspective of all the other places in which we interact with other people. And in the past, it's pretty much gone smoothly. It became just a normal, everyday occurrence. I mean, when you want to fly commercially three years ago, what do you do? You go to the airport, you walk up to the ticket counter. If you've already bought your ticket, you just get your boarding pass. If you're going to check your baggage, you stick it under the thing there. They give you a tag. You go through security going to the gate. And when they call you for the flight, you walk on your plane. You just do your deal. You sit in your chair. They bring you a soft drink and a bag of peanuts. You may snooze a little bit. Back then, if you got in trouble, it was because you didn't turn your phone off soon enough. (laughs) Now, everybody's afraid to even look at anybody else. I mean, that's a fact. Walking through the airports in Sacramento, California, in Dallas-Fort Worth, in Phoenix, walking through the airports down the concourses, people don't even look at each other anymore. Of course, one reason is you can't see but one-third of their face, their eyes, and their foreheads. That's about it. But everybody is just singularly focused on, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? What should I do? What should I not do? When you go to a gate to sit down, I mean, you you check in. You might stop and get a soft drink and a snack on the way to your gate. When you get to your gate, they're never ready to board when you get there, so everybody just goes and sits down, right? Everywhere I went this weekend, When it was time to go sit down at gates, everybody was sitting with multiple seats between each other, which meant there were not enough seats. So those of us who couldn't find a seat that had a seat or two between it and the next person over, we'd go stand in the corner and distance when we were standing waiting. Fear is encompassing, engulfing all of us, and we don't even think about it. It's become the normalized reaction. That is in itself is pretty darn scary. 
We normalize fear. That means we're making it okay. We're making it okay. Wow. So in the middle of all of this, which much of is being instigated by whoever's driving the boat, and I am confident that Joe Biden isn't the pilot of this airplane, that others are calling the shots. I have my suspicions. I don't think we'll ever know for sure who is, but it's certainly not Joe Biden. Nancy Pelosi figures somewhere way up in all this. I mean, she is the number two person in the line of secession. Should something happen to the president, the vice president would step up. If something happens to the VP, House Speaker is the one to take over. So she's very powerful. She also controls what legislation gets to the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives and what doesn't. But there's one thing about Nancy that nobody can argue with. Her power and her authority have certainly gone to her head. And she perceives herself to be infallible, all-knowing, and obviously the most powerful person in the U.S. Congress. And she feels that way. It's justifiable because, quite honestly, she is. But Nancy's one of those people that takes it to the next level. And so she, in her, in her public life, at least what we see in here, she very seldom engages in things that are factual. When there's something questionable that's going on that most everybody feels this is not right, it's wrong, it depends on her personal perspective about that, the way she responds. So where am I going with this? Well, right now there's a lot of contentious stuff happening. I mean, Afghanistan, the southern border, now we're back at the southern border. Our economy, inflation is soaring. We're looking at the biggest tax hikes in American history. If the taxes on individuals and corporations go to where this Democrat bill wants to go, we will be the highest tax percentage-wise nation on the planet. And a lot of people think, well, we should be because we're the wealthiest nation on the planet. In the middle of all of that, who's who's driving this boat? Well, figuratively, at least, it's Joe Biden. You ever wonder what Nancy thinks about Joe? I found a little example of how she feels. Let me just say about our president, President Biden. President Biden is, it's so, we're so fortunate that he did not win for president before when he ran because we needed him now. He's perfect for now. He knows his foreign policy. He was chair of the foreign policy committee. He's been, extends the hands of friendship to friend and foe alike in order to have communication. He understands the value of that. He is, he knows and is known by most leaders and, and, uh, coming up leaders in the world. He's perfect for now. He knows his foreign policy. He knows his foreign policy. This is the guy Nancy's patting on the back that Bob Gates, Robert Gates. You remember him? Former CIA director, former Secretary of Defense, military background. Robert Gates has said, and this is a direct quote, Joe Biden has been wrong on every policy, foreign policy statement that he's made over 35 years. Joe Biden has been wrong 
every time. You don't have to go far. I mean, we have Afghanistan already that we can talk about where he missed it. Um, Under Barack Obama, Barack made Joe singularly in charge of our withdrawal from Iraq. You remember what happened then? When we did that, guess who gave birth? ISIS. And it was so bad so quickly that we had to go back. We had pulled out of Iraq. We had to go back and start over again because of a Joe decision. He convinced the president, then Barack Obama, that that's what we needed to do. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Afghanistan, and I hate to say this, but if he's going to be president for another three years, we're going to have more of these kind of issues, foreign policy issues. So we've got foreign policy issues. Uh, We have internal economic issues. Of course, we have massive illegal immigration issues in the United States. And now we even have massive legal immigration issues in the state with all these Afghani refugees that are here now. We have no idea who they are. Let me tell you what. In Virginia and Minnesota, No, I'm sorry, it's Wisconsin. And and Virginia at one military base, at another one in Wisconsin, a massive number of these Afghanistan refugees have been taken there. They were supposed to be the ones that had that special visa. We were told everybody getting on those first jets that came out of Afghanistan were those that had worked with us in our military during the uh, the Afghani war over the 20-year period. Those were the ones we had promised that we were going to get out if we ever withdrew. Every one of those had those. So Congressman from Wisconsin goes to that air base, which happens to be in his district. 2,000 of those refugees were there, Afghani refugees there. He finds out when he's there, not a single one of them, not one had one of those visas as being a person that worked with our military. They were all Afghani people that wanted out. And so they come here. Well, you know, we get that. People want a better life. I wouldn't want to live in a war-torn Afghanistan. I wouldn't want to live there anyway. But the point is, we were told something by the commander-in-chief, and he got the news from somebody else, somebody like maybe Mark Milley, maybe his secretary of defense, Um, maybe his secretary of state. I don't know who gave him that information, but he's up on stage promoting it, telling all of us, don't sweat it. These are good people. In Wisconsin, the same things happened in Virginia at the other military base. In both places, folks, listen, we don't know who they are. They're supposedly being vetted there, but come on now. Do you think the Taliban have a database for every Afghan that's there, the ones that got out. And if they do have a background, a situation where they can do a background investigation on anybody, do you think they're going to share it with us? No. As a matter of fact, there is no question in anybody's minds that some of these people, probably more of them than we want to know, are terrorists or insurrectionists, people that are there, some of being planted, by maybe the Taliban, maybe Al-Qaeda, to do exactly what happened that led up to the Twin Towers falling. I know a guy from Houghton, Louisiana, a little town east of Bossier City, Shreveport, Bossier City. 
was a schoolteacher, had a career. He wanted to get into professional aviation. And so he decided at some point after many years being in public education, he took, he quit the job that he was doing and he went to a flight school in Daytona Beach, Florida. And he was there for like six months. And his whole purpose was to do everything that was necessary, not to get his pilot's license, but to get commercial pilot's license so that he could get in the aviation industry. And while he was there, there was a guy in his class, and he thought it was kind of strange when they got into the big jets, the jumbo jets, and they got into the simulators, and they started exercising, doing takeoffs and landings. And this guy that was in the school with him when they were about to work on the landings, he very flippantly made a comment that everybody in the class heard him say, I don't need to learn how to land a jumbo jet. That's all he said. Well, months later, this friend of mine, this this pilot, he learned that this pilot, his name was Muhammad Atta, was the pilot on the first plane that hit the Twin Tower. And he thought back months earlier. This guy happened to be an Egyptian that was obviously a Muslim terrorist, had come to the United States, had been there for months, even years, preparing this attack on the Twin Towers in New York. It's happened to us before. Why would we be so vain to think that it is not going to happen again? And I don't think if it does happen again, they're going to try to fly planes into buildings, but it will be something egregious they're going to attempt. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's letting them come in. We have no idea who they are. And incidentally, on both of these military bases, these illegals, let me tell you what they're doing. They're using their cell phones. They're calling Uber. Uber's coming to the gates of these military bases, and these people are getting in those Uber cars and leaving. Many are not even coming back. They have no requirements to register. They have no requirements of things they have to do when they leave the military base. Nobody knows where they're going or what they're doing or if or when they're coming back. That sounds like a brilliant executive decision that was made for that to me. I don't know about you. Wow. Speaking of Virginia, did you hear about that high school English teacher there? This guy, I, I, I've seen his, I saw the video, I've seen his picture. He looks like he's in his mid-30s, maybe late-30s. He's an English teacher. He created a firestorm by posting a TikTok video that's been deleted since in which he attacked teaching children just rudimentary behavior skills. And he called doing that white supremacy. Josh Thompson is his name. And uh, one Twitter user posted the video in which he said that, that TikTok video that I watched. In the video, he teaches at Blackburg's High School. He condemned Virginia Public Schools' behavior invention framework that's titled Positive Behavioral Interventions and Supports, PBIS. PBIS. 
which offers the following mission statement. Here's what that process is all about. PBIS helps teachers and administrators learn about and implement new techniques that reduce disruptive student behavior, which typically leads to office referrals, in-school suspensions, out-of-school suspensions that decrease instructional time for students. Based on extensive research, PBIS utilizes a positive approach to discipline. PBIS ultimately impacts the very culture of the school in order to shift attention to positive behavior and successful learning systems for children, teachers, and administrators. So Thompson's video, which, by the way, features a rainbow flag in the background, yes, he's gay, shows him saying this, quote, I stated that PBIS is white supremacy with a hug. And a lot of y'all wanted to know more about that, so here we go. He first thanks one of his followers for reminding him the phrase white supremacy with a hug was first coined by Yale activist teacher Dina Simmons, who said social-emotional learning on its own is now nothing more than white supremacy with a hug. And so in the video, he said this. So, if PBIS concerns itself with positive behaviors, we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, what are those positive behaviors? And it's things like making sure that you're following directions, making sure that you're sitting quietly, you're not in your seat, and all those things that come from white culture. This guy's a white guy, a lily white guy. The idea of just sitting quiet and being told stuff and taking things in a passive stance is not a thing that's in with many cultures. So if we're positively enforcing these behaviors, we are, by extension, positively enforcing elements of white culture, which therefore keeps whiteness at the center, which is the definition of white supremacy. Thompson was featured at the National Education Association's website in its member spotlight with the headline, Josh Thompson, Education Justice Proves a More Effective Education. It says this, Josh Thompson, a high school English teacher in Blackburgs, Virginia, envisions an education system that actively advocates for social and racial justice. Schools are political, he wrote when he was much younger. Teaching has always been political by choosing what you add into your curriculum and what you keep out. All this stuff didn't just happen, folks. We didn't just wake up one day and critical race theory and opinions being expressed by our educators. Our kids are hearing this. Sadly, they've been hearing this kind of diatribe for years. And we... We adults, we American adults, we've been asleep at the wheel and we are awakening to the tune of some really nasty stuff playing out in our school systems. Hey, coming back with some more information about that Durham indictment. When madness is the norm, the truth is a radical act of courage. Remain calm, be brave, wait for the signs. TNN, the Truth News Network. No way.
way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They, they toasted, toasted six-month-old aged cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. That's genius, no delicious, no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is, this is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks, excludes, freezes. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. beginning of the show, we mentioned that uh, John Durham, special prosecutor, has yesterday released an indictment against an attorney in the Russia collusion investigation, the involvement of the FBI. Well, let me give you some details. Nearly two years after evidence came out that the infamous Steele dossier was a political dirty trick that was filled with that Russia disinformation and disproved allegations. Special Counsel Durham unloaded a new indictment that exposes a parallel effort by Hillary and her campaign to flood the FBI with more dubious Trump-Russia collusion dirt. In great detail, Durham laid out the indictment yesterday, how Democrat super lawyer Michael Sussman used Clinton campaign funds to put together a now-debunked memo and other evidence alleging that computer communications between a server at the Alpha Bank, that's located in Russia, and the Trump Tower in New York might be a secret backdoor communication system for Trump and Vladimir Putin, a plan that was alleged at the time they had to hijack the 2016 election. Sussman delivered the package in mid-September of 2016 month and a half before the election, just weeks before, as Trump and Clinton were locked in a very tight race, if you'll remember. Then FBI General Counsel James Baker, who has got that package from this lawyer, even after the team of computer experts warned the theory was a red herring. And then Sussman falsely told Baker, the prosecutors alleged, He was providing the information to the FBI solely as a good citizen, not on behalf of anybody. In fact, he was working for a tech executive and the Clinton campaign at the same time and charged that nearly all the work on the Alpha Bank narrative to the Democratic presidential campaign, including his meeting with Baker, the indictment stated. 
The alleged lying, Durham argued, deceived the FBI into thinking the allegations were coming from a neutral source. Sussman had been a cybersecurity expert and not an election-motivated client. In fact, he was working for the Clinton campaign at the particular time. And so, in the indictment, it states, Sussman's false statement to the FBI general counsel was material to that investigation because, among other reasons, it was relevant to the FBI whether the conveyor of these allegations was providing them as an ordinary citizen merely passing along information or whether he was instead doing so as a paid advocate for clients who had a political or business agenda. So slowly over five years, five years now, the Russia collusion story has been exposed for what it was, a three-legged political dirty trick in which some highly credible figures with deep law enforcement, intelligence, and news media ties were paid by the Clinton campaign to flood the FBI with unproven allegations that Trump was secretly colluding with Russia to steal the election from Hillary. Representative Devin Nunes from California, he played a critical role as the House Intelligence Committee chairman for a couple of years in unraveling the false Russia collusion narrative. He said yesterday's indictment added a final piece to the Clinton machine that crafted the dirty trick. Quote, The indictment is damning, full of shocking details, showing how the Clinton campaign operatives and lawyers resorted to illegal and immoral methods to concoct false allegations against the Trump campaign and then fed them to the FBI and, of course, to the media. Obviously, many more folks need to face justice, but it's gratifying to see Durham begun to unravel the web of lies and deceit that surrounded the Russia collusion hoax. The evidence is now in public domain show. It shows the Clinton effort was centered at the Perkins Coy Law Firm, a biggie, which represented both the DNC and the Clinton campaign. The firm paid Sussman, he's a former DOJ lawyer, as a partner and hired ex-MI6 agent Christopher Steele and the Fusion GPS research firm to develop that Russia collusion evidence. They manufactured it all. The effort was launched after Clinton's campaign funded a poll in 2015 showing her own ties to Russia and Moscow money paid to her husband, ex-president Bill Clinton, were threatening her path to the presidency. And so they did this thing to kind of deflect any attention away from her real wrongdoing, alleging that Trump had been involved with the Russians. The first leg of the collusion narrative was run by Christopher Steele, who used that MI6 credentials in his prior ties to the FBI and high-ranking DOJ official Bruce Orr to walk in his infamous dossier to U.S. law enforcement and intelligence in the summer of 2016. The FBI ultimately concluded Steele's dossier was riddled with Russian disinformation and disproved evidence. You know, the biggest thing in this whole thing that I just can't believe still to this day You heard me mention that high-ranking D.O. official named Bruce Orr. Bruce's wife, Nellie Orr, let me me give you, besides being husband and wife, let me give you a correlation of this story. She, come to find out, was funneling 
this information that was coming. She was working with and for Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS. She was working for them. They were concocting these, I mean, big, big, big yawns and perspectives and actual things about different members of the Trump campaign. They were putting that all together. And she was funneling it all to her husband, that high-ranking DOJ official, Bruce Orr. And we had to spend five years now justifying that out as facts. Wow. We got one more thing to mention, and then we're going to turn over to some really good COVID-19 news. That really is some good news information this morning. So a big question is out around town in Washington. Those January 6th Capitol riot defendants, many of them are still being held. Are they being held as political prisoners? I can't believe we would even have to think about that. Some conservative activists and Republicans have used that terminology, including a guy named Matt Brainerd. He's the organizer of the September 18th Justice for J6 rally at the foot of the Capitol. You've heard about it. It's going to be held tomorrow. That's the reason the fences have gone up back in D.C., all around the Capitol, the White House. They're afraid of those insurrectionists coming back. Brainerd is a former Trump campaign strategist. He made the accusation in a complaint against the U.S. with the Office of the United Nations High Commission for Human Rights. And he said he met with one of the commissioners to discuss that complaint those January 6th riot defendants being held, some of them without even being charged. Mainstream media, of course, what did, they, what did they do? They just laughed. The Associated Press calls the terminology a stunning effort to revise the narrative of that deadly day. Hey, leaving out that the Capitol Police killed an unarmed protester, the only fatality from a weapon of any kind. PolitiFact rated the language mostly false, citing an absence of evidence that defendants are being prosecuted for those beliefs. It convinced Facebook on Instagram to do what? Pull the post down. But a review of the January 6th defendant's treatment by the criminal justice system, it raises some questions about how political beliefs may have factored into their prosecutions and their being incarcerated, particularly in comparison to last summer's race riots driven by the outrage about George Floyd's death. Not only are January 6th defendants generally enduring longer periods behind bars for much lesser charges than those charges coming out of the riots in Minneapolis, but some of their lawyers seem to believe the judges will treat them more favorably if they publicly recant their political beliefs. One new database contrasts the January 6th prosecutions in which dozens of defendants have been held in pretrial detention for months. They're comparing them to Floyd, George Floyd rioters, several long detentions, and long-forgotten rioters at President Trump's inauguration. There were none. You remember that? People that were there rioting at Trump's inauguration Many were arrested. Nobody held. 
The summer 2020 riots resulted in some 15 times more injured police officers, 30 times as many arrests, and estimated damages in dollar terms up to 1,300 times more costly than those of the Capitol riot on January 6th, not to mention more sophisticated and dangerous tactics. Yet across 2,000 cops assaulted or injured and 16,000 arrests, only 44 federal assault charges were filed against the racial rioters in Minneapolis, a quarter of the total for January 6th defendants. And the former had more weapons charges, by the way. At least 90% of the citations or charges were dropped, dismissed, or otherwise not even filed in most of the dozen major jurisdictions prosecuting race riots, while D.C. prosecutors dropped most felony rioting charges. They're on track to dismiss charges in almost every case from riot-friendly Portland, Oregon. However, at least 50 January 6 defendants have been transferred to jail from their home states, with many held without bail on misdemeanor charges in separate D.C. lockup designated for Capitol rioters. Mainstream media? Not a peep about any of this. Lawyers Marty Tankliff and Stephen Metcalf, who together represent several of those defendants, they believe the D.C. transfers have no merit at all because virtual court hearings were the default under COVID-19 rules until recently. It was a well-thought-out strategic plan to get rioters to D.C., and put in the same space where they can be miked in a cage. The functional absence of attorney-client privilege in D.C. jail facilities is cited in their July bail application for alleged Proud Boy Dominic Pisola, along with allegations about withheld evidence, nearly non-existent access to showers, and a two-week stint in the hole after a broadcast interview with his wife. Lang has spent more than three months total in solitary confinement, including two straight months in the hole without a single disciplinary ticket, it says. Guards maced him less than a day after he rejoined the Patriot unit while he held a Bible in one hand and family photos in the other. They maced him. The application cites an affidavit by another protester, Philip Anderson, claims Lang saved him from being killed by the cops at the Capitol as they were beating Trump supporters. What we've been seeing in the press is not the whole truth, it says, citing selectively released snippets of video and snapshots. Anderson said he was holding hands with protester Roseanne Boylan as she died and blames Capitol Police for her death, which was officially attributed to acute amphetamine intoxication. Isn't it amazing that all this stuff happens and the media gets all over it, even some of the conservative outlets? They get all over it, but they won't bring us everything. They only want to bring and talk about the things that fit whatever their particular political perspective is. That's really, really difficult to believe. Told you we had some good COVID news. Something coming up from Israel, a new type of treatment. And it's being very effective so far at least. 97% of the patients are recovering based upon this new medicine. Here are the details. 
In Israel, a game-changing weapon in the fight against coronavirus. An experiment at Ikalov Hospital in Tel Aviv cured 29 out of 30 coronavirus patients. Uh, 29 out of these 30 patients in moderate to severe condition were discharged from the hospital following only three or five days of treatment. While vaccines have become commonplace, an effective treatment for already active cases has been elusive, at least until now. Trials abroad with existing drugs like remdesivir or hydroxychloroquine have given inconclusive results, at best. Ikelov's new drug, ExoCD24, a somewhat difficult name, isn't aimed at curing the virus but suppressing the symptoms, one in particular called cytokine storm. A cytokine storm is an immune system overreaction that causes massive inflammation, which in a patient's lungs is the main COVID killer. The new drug releases a protein called CD24 directly to the lungs to control the immune response. It is administrated by direct inhalation to the lungs to suppress the immune reaction resulting from the infection of the SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19, as you're familiar with, and prevent the cytokine storm from taking place. Labs around the world have been attempting to rein in the cytokine storm reaction for a year now, but faced a few problems. Suppressing a patient's general immune system during a pandemic caused problems, and suppressing a specific cytokine reaction allowed others to run rampant, causing the same damage. The new breakthrough is an inhaled solution, so the cytokine-suppressing proteins are only present in a patient's lungs, which gets around those problems. 30 people is a small sample size, and there's not enough data regarding how ExoCD24 reacts to the different virus variants. But the results look incredibly promising so far, a sign that just maybe the world can finally wake up from the coronavirus nightmare. So we have that in Israel, and you've heard about the monoclonal antibody treatment. You've heard it mentioned again and again and again. It's working, folks. It's really working. What is it? What is it all about? Gosh, I hated to do this, but I want to make sure that you you hear this entire soundbite. Turn your turn your sound up and listen very closely. Here's a complete explanation of what the monoclonal antibodies treatment is, what it's based on. It's been around a long time. Listen closely to this. It's going to surprise you. My name is Gregory Breen. I've been in practice for about 20 years. I'm board certified in pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. The concept of antibody therapy, or what's called passive immunity, has been around for over 100 years. Similar types of treatment have been used for measles, rabies, tetanus, uh, hepatitis, influenza, in fact, even the Spanish flu, the great pandemic prior to this one, antibody therapy was used in that situation as well. So this is a, it's a long-standing uh, therapy um, that has been promising in several disease processes. The difference with monoclonal therapy is that we are isolating a particular antibody that is most effective against this disease, and that is a unique concept. Not only are we isolating it, but it's being prepared in a laboratory. It is a pure form of, uh, of the treatment, and it avoids all of the pitfalls of transfusing plasma or blood uh, from a convalesced patient. So the monoclonal antibodies are a single, meaning mono, clone or line of antibodies, a single type of antibody that is then targeted against a part of the virus. Typically, the spike protein is one of the main components of the virus. The treatment is extremely effective, um, and in fact, uh, phase three studies have uh, shown 
that the treatment can decrease your chances of being hospitalized or dying from COVID by about 70%. So you're sicker for a shorter period of time and you have a much less chance of being hospitalized or dying from the disease if you receive this treatment. This is an outpatient treatment and the key is to get the monoclonal infusion before they become very symptomatic, before they require hospitalization. The infusion takes about an hour and then we observe for an hour, but it's a very, very relaxed atmosphere uh, where you can get some rest, which you typically need when you have COVID. And thankfully, because of uh, our collaboration between our primary care, urgent care, and emergency room physicians, and the great support from the Inspira administration and nursing, we are able to uh, do the transfusions on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, and have actually treated over 200 patients with this therapy successfully. These treatments have been approved under an emergency use authorization from the government. There are strict criteria that have to be followed before we can administer them to a patient. Um, and they fall into three categories. Number one is age. So if you're 65 or older, you're considered at high risk for developing more severe or life-threatening COVID, and you are definitely a candidate. The second criteria uh, involves four medical conditions. Number one is obesity or a body mass index of greater than 35, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, or if you're immunocompromised or immunosuppressed. And that is for any age, those four conditions. If you're 55 and older and have hypertension, cardiovascular disease, or if you have chronic lung disease such as COPD or chronic asthma, then you are also considered high risk for progressing and are a candidate for the treatment. Side effects have been extremely rare. Uh, you can have nausea, um, flushing, uh, a little bit of a fever potentially during the infusion. You may even have an allergic reaction to the infusion, but again, those have been exceedingly rare and allergic reactions in our over 200 patients treated, we have not seen one of those. This is not necessarily a symptom-based treatment, meaning you may not feel better the next day after the infusion. The idea here is that in the first week of COVID, you are suffering from a lot of flu-like symptoms, generally fevers, nausea, muscle aches, and fatigue. In the second week of COVID, the life-threatening manifestations can occur. That can lead to hospitalization and death. The monoclonal therapy is meant to prevent that second week of complications, prevent you from being hospitalized and prevent you from dying from the disease. So even if you don't feel a difference with the treatment, it is helping you by getting the, rid of the virus quicker from your system, preventing it from binding to your cells, allowing your body to eliminate it and thus prevent the complications by about 70% as I mentioned before. As we approach this next phase, uh, of the pandemic, we are still seeing surges in cases and they are primarily being driven by some of the mutant strains that we've seen. And so it's so important, even as we look towards the future in a hopeful way, that we maintain our vigilance and that we continue to follow the guidelines from government and our health care professionals, uh, including wearing masks, keeping social distancing and washing hands. What I can tell you as um, a practicing physician and as someone who has really kept up with this throughout the past year, um, I've just been uh, impressed by the miracle of the vaccines. There were no steps skipped. They were done with rigorous scientific study um, and with the help of uh, governments and uh, industry uh, collaborating together in a way that we've never seen before. 
So to me, these are a miracle treatment, a life-saving uh, uh, therapy that I really encourage all of my patients to consider. That being said, we are all uh, individual human beings and we must make the best decisions for ourselves and our families. And I encourage patients to discuss this issue with their physicians um, at, 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 at every opportunity. Um, physicians will have a, a little bit more of um, an understanding of some of the science and be able to reassure patients that the science is sound um, and that there were no steps skipped uh, in the development of the vaccines. There you have it, folks. A complete, complete, exhaustive explanation of monoclonal antibody treatment, what they do, how they do it, and yes, they're very effective. Consider that. If you and your loved ones, anybody faces that. If you want that uh, that complete audio, I've got it in MP3 format. Send me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org, and we'll send it to you. That's a wrap on Friday. That's a wrap on this week. Don't forget, our bullet point offering tomorrow morning goes live at 1.45 a.m. Don't miss it. Back Monday, right here, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, every Monday through Friday, at Truth News Network, Truth News Net. Org. Have a great weekend. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn. It's a new day, it's a new life for me And I'm feeling good I'm feeling so good Fish in the sea how I feel River running free You know how I feel Blossom on a tree You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life For me And I'm feeling So Fly out in the sun You know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun You know what I mean Sleep in peace when day is done That's what I mean And this whole world is a new world And a bold world for me It's a new day, it's a new life, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life, it's a new dawn,
Je ne doute 